if this product is something that is purposefully designed to ensure the fair treatment of the individuals. It, it provides for their housing, lodging, and their maintenance while assured. Uh, it gives them access to expert legal advice and advisors that will not only tell them what their rights and obligations may be, but also what their remedies are. We've seen so many cases where crew members get detained against their will for lengthy periods of time without ever actually being told what remedies are out there that exist to help them. And we've had seafarers miss funerals of parents, uh, graduations of, of children and, and loved ones and family members. We've had a few, many crew members miss the births of their children, first children even. I mean, really terrible stuff. And again, this is all unforced errors in the sense that had they been given access to good legal advice, they probably never had to miss any of that stuff. Welcome to the Maritime Risk Podcast brought to you by Shoreline Limited, the provider of innovative marine insurance solutions for the shipping industry. Our purpose is to explore the evolving risks within the maritime industry, including environmental, geopolitical, socioeconomic, and security threats such as cyber attacks, war, and terrorism, as well as the more traditional accidents, navigational and operational incidents, and other causes of business disruption. We'll speak with experts to help you prepare for the unexpected and navigate the complex world of the ever-evolving maritime risk environment. Okay, so welcome to the third in the mini-series of Shoreline Maritime Risk Podcasts, which has covered the subject of our new, brand new insurance product, Marpol Detention Cost Insurance. Today, you'll be hearing from somebody other than myself for a change, which is good news for the, for the listener. Today, we have the pleasure of once again speaking to our good friend and colleague over in New York, George Chalos, of leading maritime law firm Chalos & Co., George doesn't require a great deal of introduction, as many of the listeners will have heard from him before in our previous episode back in June 2022, when we discussed this whole subject of Marpol detentions in the US and the fact that these cases have been rumbling on for 20 or so years or more. And really, it was out of that conversation with George that the whole concept of Marpol detention cost insurance arose. And I've had the great pleasure of working with George over the last six to eight months to actually evolve this new insurance product that is now going to be available to Shoreline clients as from September 2023. Um, in many respects, I think this, the third in the many series of podcasts in which we put together to, to describe the product, its scope of cover, terms and conditions, etc., is perhaps the most important episode because really in this episode we're trying to flush out the need for the cover and and also walk our listeners through a typical lost scenario which may befall any ship owner operator or manager trading their vessel to the US today in order to give some sort of idea of what's involved how you have to handle the matter 
in order to create the, the best outcomes and how by having this new insurance product in place, your ship officers, crew and owners will be best protected to properly manage the legal proceedings which follow an extended port state control inspection and MARPOL investigation. So without further ado, having set the scene, George, I mean, could you just give a little bit of background to yourself and, and really why you are the preeminent lawyer in the US for, for discussing MARPOL detention cases? Uh, sure, Captain Tom. It's nice to be here. It's nice to visit with you as always. Uh, one of the areas our firm specializes in and handles cases all throughout the United States, the continental United States and elsewhere, such as Alaska, Hawaii, American Samoa and other locations, falls squarely within this subject matter of MARPOL or APPS, the Act to Prevent Pollution from Ships, suspected violations, investigations, and when appropriate, prosecutions. And so just explain a little bit about, you, you know, the, the sort of 20-year history you have with these cases. I mean, you know, can you estimate how many cases you've You've represented ship-owning interests on, for example. Well, I've lost count. These cases come in many different varieties. Sometimes it's a, a proactive owner or operator that wants to have a program in place to do independent audits. And at times they need some legal assistance in managing that particular program in-house. Sometimes it's less proactive and more responsive after a, a company might receive a notice or notification of a suspected violation having occurred on board a vessel. In those cases, we try to be out in front and get instructed to attend on board, perform investigations and interviews and when appropriate interrogations. And yet other times it's even less proactive and certainly more knee-jerk responsive when a vessel's already been boarded by U.S. authorities and, and detained on the suspicion of shipboard misconduct having had occurred, ordinarily at sea. That, that's usually the three types of scenarios that brings these cases to our doorstep. Okay, fantastic. So if we're looking at those three cases, I think the one that's most applicable to us is the responsive sort of situation, because I envisage it's in those responses that we will see the benefit of this new insurance policy to the ship owner operator with your embedded legal services contained within the policy. So I think as a starting point, it might be helpful if we just walk our listeners through a typical loss scenario as we envisage under the policy of maritime detention cost insurance, a sort of cradle to cradle to grave view of, you know, first steps, what happens, notification until the final outcome when seafarers are hopefully repatriated safely. Could you just walk us through a typical case, George? Yeah, I can, and I'm happy to do so. One thing I would say at the outset, it is always a good idea for owners and operators to be proactive and to have a program in place where there's checks and balances so that they can avoid having one of these detentions. The Coast Guard has a very clear um, voluntary disclosure policy that if a company has a program in place and they discover suspected misconduct, they can come forward, report it to U.S. port state authorities, 
and work collaboratively to get to the bottom of the issue. In those cases, it is what I call a magic bullet in the sense that that will avoid uh, lengthy detentions of the vessel and, and crew members, and it will avoid a criminal prosecution. But when these matters don't get handled proactively, it is fairly straightforward how they're handled uh, by the U.S. enforcement agencies and what is to be expected from both the owning and operating side on one hand and the seafaring side on the other hand. So just to summarize how it, it starts, the Coast Guard would come on board a vessel, either receive information or discover information that would lead a reasonable observer to the conclusion that something wrong may have happened, some, some sort of misconduct may have happened. At that point in time, the Port State Control Inspection gets escalated to what is known as an expanded MARPOL investigation. That is an administrative proceeding. It continues ordinarily. It's, it's days, sometimes weeks, but it is not quick. It's not easy. It's not a matter of a few hours and the ship's on its way. It is disruptive to the business. It is frightening for the crew. It is a problem. From there, at the conclusion of the investigation, the Coast Guard investigation team would likely meet with Department of Justice lawyers and make a referral of the case. And from there, it's up to the Department of Justice to either accept the matter for investi further investigation or decline it. This is where the problem starts because once the case is referred for further investigation by the Department of Justice, the ship is unable to depart unless the owner and operator jointly and severally agree to what's known as an agreement on security or otherwise, the, the buzzword is, provide surety satisfactory to the Coast Guard. What this means is the companies jointly and severally will post a significant bond, always seven figures and above. Certain crew members, ordinarily, the captain and all the engineering department will be required to disembark and stay for an indefinite period of time in the district where the ship called. And then the matter will proceed in the ordinary way once the owner and operator move the crew members off the ship and make arrangements to provide for, for their stay in the United States. And I think the important part to remember here is it is an indefinite stay. No one knows how long it's going to last. And without someone advocating for those individuals, it is often very lengthy and a very, very trying experience. So, you know, George, if you'd just like to now to talk about why you think it's beneficial for an owner to put this new, I mean, insurance product in place. Obviously, you are co-authoring this product with us. So the product does benefit from your, you know, lifetime in the law and, and a lifetime of, of defending ship owners against these types of matters in the US. So, you know, in your view, why would it make sense for a ship owner to purchase this policy and how do you think by purchasing the policy, we can create better outcomes for the owner, his master and crew, and indeed the US Coast Guard and, and Department of Justice? I mean, I'm assuming that we can 
we can make the case move along a little bit more expeditiously, for example, and mitigate the sort of stressful situation the crew find themselves in, the, the financial downside for the owners, and expedite a decision one would hope for for the Coast Guard and the Department of Justice. But, you know, just in your words, really, I mean, obviously you're supporting the product with your with your legal services. So how do you actually see the, the benefit of that rolling out to, to the insureds? Yeah, that's an easy one, Captain Tom. Uh, if uh, you are a responsible industry-leading ship operator or ship owner and you do not have this coverage, uh, I would be um, very, very first in line to say that may be um, irresponsible on behalf of the company. This, um, for a very, very de minimis amount of insurance premium, provides a huge amount of protection and a huge amount of coverage, and most importantly, a huge benefit to the company's most precious asset. It's its people, its crew, the folks that are working on board the ship. Um, 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day to make sure goods and certain products move um, as needed throughout the world. George, um, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about the situation on board the ship, etc. But of course, you know, what we haven't focused on really is what happens when these unfortunate seafarers land ashore. I mean, what does the world look like from their perspective when suddenly they find themselves washed ashore um, in the capacity of witnesses to something that's happened on board the ship for an indefinite period of time. I mean, it must be a fairly scary situation to find oneself in. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is uh, super anxiety-causing, and it, although it's not pleasant to talk about, um, the, the mental health aspects of, of, of being involved in one of these cases is, is sometimes catastrophic. I mean, there's been a number of cases where seafarers uh, have reported a physical illness. Uh, we've had even uh, the case where some seafarers have uh, uh, done harm to themselves as a result of the stress and the uncertainty. Um, it's really tragic stuff. But I, I think if you know sort of and you consider and reflect on how these things evolve from the seafarer's perspective, um, it's not so um, far-fetched that this could happen. Uh, remember, uh, these professional seafarers deal with port state control authorities all over the world, and they do it in a competent, professional manner. Uh, the vessel comes into the United States. Most times, the expectation is an ordinary port state control boarding. The seafarers um, are expert in these matters, and they participate and assist to the best of their abilities. But then the, the port state control inspection continues. First, it starts going a little longer than anticipated. Then it spills over into the evening hours, which is unusual. Then it spills into the next day, and then sometimes it spills into the next week, and it's days on end. And there's great confusion and uncertainty about what's happening, and then the whispers start. And of course, I think most seafarers are aware of the United States government's uh, enforcement uh, protocol, and I'm sure they're aware of um, the stories, whether it's urban legend or factually based, about seafarers being jailed for suspected violations occurring on board the ship. And then they get requested from uh, either the master of the vessel, the Coast Guard, CBP, the office. Uh, certain crew members get requested to pack up their belongings and basically get off, go ashore. 
and they don't know where they're going to stay. They don't know how long they're going to stay. They don't know if they're going to receive their salary or get paid. They don't know who's paying for the hotel. They don't know who's going to tell their family and loved ones where they are. And they don't know exactly what to tell their family and loved ones, why they're there, why they're involved. It's a hugely stressful time. And again, it bears reminding uh, uh, that this is for an indefinite period of time. It's not like a week or two weeks. It's not a month or two months. We've had crews that have remained in the United States for up to two years. Really outrageous stuff. And so the product that we're talking about provides coverage and support for these individuals from the very first moment that that they actually need it, right? Once the investigation kicks off, uh, a, a team is deployed to the vessel to assess the situation, evaluate the evidence, and provide advice and guidance, and when necessary, um, separate uh, legal representation for the individuals to protect their personal rights and liberties. Yeah, I think I think you know that really does paint a stark picture of the situation that befalls a seafarer who's the unwitting sort of uh, innocent bystander here, uh, washed up ashore in the United States. And as you say, I think psychologically, the most difficult thing to cope with is the nature that you don't know how long it's going to last. I mean, you often see lots of these, um, you know, these SAS or these sort of, um, you know, these reality TV shows where they put them through the these basic training. And, and basically the way in which they break people psychologically is they they deprive them of their liberties, their freedoms, and and they just there seems to be no end in sight of it. And I think, you know, as a as a sort of like a, a simile here, I mean, it's very similar to that sort of situation that these new recruits find themselves in in this in these training situations where they're just put under immense stress with with really no idea when when the whole thing's going to end. So I think, you know, with proper legal stewardship of the case and and good advice to individuals, it's going to manage the mental health situation. And the social anxiety that they're, and psychological anxiety they're bound to experience uh, if if they get embroiled in a case such as this uh, in the U.S. So yeah, there, there's got to be a huge amount of of value to that support network and 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 uh, legal advisors to help people through yeah. these very difficult situations. That, that's for sure, Captain Tom. And I, I would say there's another side of the coin to be considered. Um, we've been involved in many cases where good people, honest, hardworking people, because of the stress and the strain, because of the uncertainty, because of the um, unending duration of these lengthy uh, detentions, um, they themselves start making very big mistakes, right? That we've seen cases where individuals just want to go home, right? And, and they'll say and do anything so that they can go home. And that leads to a potential collateral problem where if they say some story on day one that doesn't match with the story on day 45, it doesn't match with the story on day 100 or 200 of the of their stay in the United States, um, they now become subjected to a variety of criminal charges unrelated to the vessel's call, um, including but not necessarily limited to obstruction of justice, making a false statement tampering uh, with witnesses, conspiracy, et cetera, so forth. I mean, um, there's nothing that spins these sorts of cases out of control um, more aggressively or faster um, than um, crew members or others uh, just acting 
without good advice and guidance and doing and saying what they feel others may want to hear in order to let them go home. I can really see, yeah, I can see that how that could happen. And that puts it into stark reality, really, the, the duress that these people can be under. Although not expressly stated in the policy, I mean, we have it on good authority from Channels & Co that insureds under the policy of MDCI insurance will have um, an intrinsic benefit as an insured insofar as for costs that are not necessarily covered by the policy, um, but are but are um, you know managed by Charles and Co under instructions from owners and operators can be provided on a corporate sort of DNO level um, at a discounted rate to your usual charge out calls. Is that right? Is that, is that how that would work? Absolutely. So not unlike the network of correspondence that the PI clubs often um, establish around the world. Um, we, starting with our firm and others that will be available service providers, uh, will be offering discounted rates uh, for matters that fall both within the scope of coverage and outside of the scope of coverage, should those services need to be uh, retained by individuals or, or the companies. And again, um, this is a uh, arrangement that we thought long and hard about, and, and we thought that this would be um, for the industry at large and for the individuals, a great benefit. And from our side and the, the perspectives of the, the, the correspondent law firms we'll be collaborating with, um, we all take our obligation uh, to the industry and, and to the seafarers and to the protection of the uh, ocean and the environment very seriously. And we'd like to do our part and that's uh, some of our contribution uh, to these to these goals and objectives. Yeah, and I think that's you know provides an opportunity for me just to sort of summarise you know the the claims payment under the under the policy of MDCI insurance insofar as the legal costs incurred by yourselves and those third party lawyers that you instruct to act on behalf of um, seafarers uh, in any one district or another of the United States. Um, will be covered in the first instance by the by the insurer, uh, um, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited. However, the costs of um, the crew maintenance and care once ashore will be in the first instance met by the insured, and then on the conclusion of the case will be indemnified in full by the insurers to the insured after proper adjustment. And that will be matters concerning uh, wages, um, accommodation, per diem living expensive, uh, repatriation costs, etc. And then the third aspect of the cover is what you just alluded to, which is what I sort of loosely call the legal retainer costs. Uh, and that is this uh, intrinsic benefit that the insurers of the MDCI avail themselves of, uh, sorry, MDCI policy avail themselves of, and that is access to your services from a corporate slash DNO perspective. Um, to, to defend the interests of their company and its directors and officers uh, if charged with any um, uh, uh, legal wrongdoing in the United States at rates that they couldn't ordinarily obtain on a, on a direct basis outside of the scope of this, uh, this, this cover. So, yeah, I mean, there are direct benefits to the policy, but also indirect benefits as well, I would say. Yeah, that, that's right. And I would also, to, to amplify the benefit even further, um, there is certainly um, a well-known rate scale for federal criminal practitioners in different port cities around the United States. 
um, it would probably come as no surprise that the, the rates that we see in that sector of the legal services uh, community are very, very high. In some places, I'd even say outrageous. Uh, but there is a school of thought that uh, if you want to pay peanuts, you'll find monkeys uh, and you often get what you pay for. And what we've uh, worked very hard and are continuing to work very hard to do is to establish a network of excellent service providers and then pass on the benefit of pre-established negotiated discounted rates to owners and operators um, if they were to engage the services of these service providers um, to assist in these matters. Yeah, very well put. And and in terms of your your involvement in the case, I mean, we have you on a 24-7 response line embedded within the policy terms and conditions that, and really you should be the first call that a ship owner operator makes when, when faced with this type of situation. So in terms of your case management, you'll be acting on well, just explain how you will act in the capacity of legal counsel for the ship owner or the crew, which additional legal service providers you will instruct, and indeed whether you can act independently for a named ship owner corporately if they're, if they're accused of some wrongdoing themselves. Just to sort of delineate the sort of roles and responsibilities of the legal response, if you could. Of course, yeah. So as I shared before, the I think one of the thresholds to this product is starting with an awareness of the issue to the industry. I think 25 years onwards, there's still a healthy dose of owners and operators that are objectively good, right? And that's the description I would give, that they're blue chip and honest, lawful businesses that do their best to be industry leaders and best in class in, in their respective space. But there is still a misperception that it will never happen to me. It'll never happen to us. It'll never happen to our crew. We have our crew from cadets through senior officers. We train them. We treat them like family. They are our family. Um, that is a prevailing view we hear all the time. And with the recognition that this is an important piece of a company's insurance portfolio, I think it's a great starting point because now there's an awareness. There's an awareness that these issues do exist. It could be you, and we need to be proactive. Once you get beyond that and you realize that, wait a minute, it could still happen to us, we need to be prepared with experts on standby to launch immediately when and if necessary. And then, of course, the what I think is the most important part of this product is this product is something that is purposefully designed to ensure the fair treatment of the individuals. It, it provides for their housing, lodging, and their maintenance while assured. Uh, it gives them access to expert legal advice and advisors that will not only tell them what their rights and obligations may be, but also what their remedies are. We've seen so many cases where crew members get detained against their will for lengthy periods of time without ever actually being told what what the remedies exist, what the remedies are out there that exist to help them. And we've had seafarers miss 
funerals of parents, uh, graduations of, of children and, and loved ones and family members. We've had a few, many crew members miss the births of their children, first children even. I mean, really terrible stuff. And again, this is all unforced errors in the sense that had they been given access to good legal advice, they probably never had to miss any of that stuff. Yeah, and I think that really plays into the whole overarching concept of ESG that the industry is is now wrestling with in many respects. I mean, often the discussion focuses on the E of the ESG rather than the S, which, you know, concerns itself with social aspects. But, you know, at the core of our industry is is a workforce of of seafarers going about their day-to-day business, trying to, to operate ships safely, keep our oceans clean and, and deliver our goods in a in a in a in a, a good condition, you know. And often, you know, their, their sort of psychological and sociological interests are ignored. I mean, many of them don't have much of a constituency when it comes to a voice about, you know, how they're treated. And, uh, you know, they're at the whim of, of the legal authorities within whichever port they find themselves in the world. It's not necessarily just the United States, this, but apart from the fact that our product is, is US only. But, you know, in many ports around the world, they can find themselves you know, facing legal challenges that you know, they wouldn't perhaps not been aware of or, or how to deal with. So I think the point you make is very well made here about how, you know, the early intervention on the behalf of the innocent seafarer who is called as a witness is, is highly valuable and, and accords really with the, certainly with the S principles of, of, of ESG. But in, in terms of, obviously, you know, the product only covers legally insurable costs and, and many of the costs involved in these cases are just not legally insurable, like the, the fine, for example, or any other, you know, financial pen, penalty the, the courts may levy. And indeed, the sort of legal representation of, of those accused of wrongdoing. But, you know, it, it isn't to say that those accused of wrongdoing shouldn't receive the, the best expert legal advice. And, and how, in fact, can you assist with that aspect of, of one of these cases? Sure. So as presently envisioned, and I think this is really the ethos of of the product, it starts with an awareness. It starts with risk avoidance and and risk management so that there's a a component of education and training for the insured subscribers that, look, there are things you can do to avoid one of these problems, and that'll be part of it. And then it moves into, well, okay, there is one of these problems. Now you'll have experts, either from my team or, or others, that uh, will be part of our network to get on board the ship straight away, armed with the knowledge and experience of what it is that exactly they're looking at, and will be on the ground sort of immediately to assess the situation, uh, identify relevant evidence and within that there will be a a category known as inculpatory or bad evidence for the defense and there'll also be a category of what we call exculpatory or very good or helpful evidence for the defense we've discovered and it may become come as a surprise to some of our friends that are listening is the coast guard's internal guidance directs the investigators to identify and collect all inculpatory evidence. 
Now, that seems very unfair, right? I mean, why shouldn't they be gathering both inculpatory and exculpatory? But that's not what the first line of investigators are tasked with doing. Their, their task is to only get the evidence that supports the claim or allegation against the individuals in the company. Uh, so by having someone in your corner right out of the gate or right off the hop on board the ship, assessing the situation, identifying exculpatory and inculpatory facts and evidence, we say sort of with tongue in cheek, identifying where the beauty marks are and also where the warts are, and then being able to advise early on the best way forward um, for sure for the individuals as well as the the corporate entities that own and operate the vessel yeah okay i think that explains the situation very well so i mean from your perspective i mean obviously i'm assuming you can endorse this product to to our ship owner listeners it's something that you've worked on as work with us to to as i say to author but you you would genuinely consider this as a benefit to the industry, this new new insurance product, yeah? Without a doubt. I would go even further than that, Captain Tom. I believe that this has been a gap, a known gap in the, the universe of available insurance coverages for a lot of years. And I don't know if the marketplace didn't address this because it seems to be so remote. It's certainly limited in scope to the United States is not necessarily a worldwide issue with vessels and crews being detained for lengthy and unlimited periods of time. But I think it's only good for the industry and the environment, and I'll explain why. It brings about an awareness, first off. Second off, it brings about the ability for a first-class owner and operator to plan for and provide for its its crew, right? Its most valuable asset is its people. But the, the crew, uh, when and if they should become involved in one of these matters. With that knowledge and with that affirmative effort, starting at the top from the shore side, going down to the crew members serving on board, there's an awareness of environmental protection. And more than that, a, a reminder of corporate stewardship to ensure that our our oceans and our planet and our environment are be, always being thought of and always being protected to the best of uh, our people's ability. Yeah, thank you for that endorsement, George. It's very much appreciated. And in, in fact, your the knowledge that you brought to bear as we've evolved and 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 worked on on this product with certain reinsurers at Lloyd's has been invaluable. So I just like to. On behalf of Shoreline, thank you for that contribution. And, and really, that brings this third in the mini-series of podcasts around the Mar- Marpole Detention Cost Insurance to, to a close. I, I sort of finished by saying that, you know, we're very excited about bringing this product to market. It's always, it's always very satisfying in a way to innovate new insurance ideas that have intrinsic value at the end of the day to those who are going to see a benefit from the application of this policy on board the vessels on which they serve. So that is always nice to know that you you are doing something positive for them personally and for the industry generally. To say, I would just really direct our listeners to to Shoreline's website, www.shoreline.bm, 
where we'll be uploading various electronic documentation around the new product, including our product brochure, information sheet, FAQ, and we can also assist with the provision of policy forms, application forms, etc. Should you be interested in purchasing this cover for any one or another of your, your vessels. So, George, thank you very much, sir. Always a pleasure to speak to you. And until next time, we shall wish our listeners safe passage and fair seas. Thank you for listening to the Maritime Risk Podcast brought to you by Shoreline Limited. We hope this episode has shed some light on the diverse and complex risks facing the maritime industry today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited, for their invaluable support in making this podcast possible. To access more episodes of our podcast series, visit our website at www.shoreline.bm. Remember, in the ever-changing world of maritime risk, preparation is key. Until next time, fair winds and following seas.